Good to be back, you know. <laughs> After being away for 25 years, and being here for 25 years, rather, and being gone for a few, um, Lori and I just enjoy coming back and seeing you all. It's just amazing to see the good things that God continues to do here at Old North. And we were called away a few years ago to serve this organization, this denomination, this network of churches that we have called Converge, the Baptist General Conference. And so we live in Connecticut now, and we travel from Manhattan to Maine and from Boston over to Albany. And I've got to tell you, we've logged about 120,000 miles in the past three years. I've preached in over 50 or 60 pulpits, and, and yet this still feels like home. And so... Nice to be back home with you today. We are so thankful that God has brought Pastor Nick and Amy here. He is an answer to prayer for so many people. So grateful for them. And I have been asking about him throughout New England. As I go around to churches, I say, hey, can you tell me about the guy that used to be at Osterville Baptist Church out on Cape Cod? And these are some of the responses I've gotten. I've gotten, who? I've gotten, never heard of the guy. And then I've gotten great things that are really true where one of the pastors that I work with said, I've mentored over 30 students from Gordon-Conwell Seminary. He was my absolute favorite. Another guy said, he is an awesome prof. I enjoyed taking his classes. He taught me a lot about preaching. Another guy said, as he lived in that area of Massachusetts, he said, I heard he went to some big mega church in Ohio. I said, that's what I heard too. So... You know, his reputation is great over New England, and we're just so thankful that God has brought him here. I'm really thankful for the group of students here from Ireland today. I'm not sure whether I'm supposed to mention them or not, but they're part of the Ulster Project. I just want you to know my great-great-great-grandfather, Robert Allen, came from Ireland in 1833 from Castle Finn up on the River Finn in Ireland. And so it's just great to have new friends here and old friends, and we're very thankful. And, and enough about that. I thought I'd show you some pictures of my kids, okay? Because let me put you some pictures up here. This is our oldest daughter, Christine. Yeah. Um, this is Natalie, who's going to be five. This is Ben, who's a handful, as you can imagine, on the left here. This is their new little gal, Maggie. They're also the ones that have the little daughter in heaven who would have been three years old this past, uh, this past month. So that's our oldest daughter in Columbus then. Our daughter, Sarah, and her husband, John, and the crown prince of grandsons, George, because his other grandparents are here today, the Cleghorns, and we're just so thankful for them. And then finally, our son Andy and his wife Melissa and their two little girls live up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. There's one more picture. I thought we'd throw one more grandson picture in here, Tom. Just thought, that's a pretty cool picture, isn't it? I mean, I don't throw grandkid pictures around to people I don't know, but I know you and I wanted to tell you about that. So we just wanted to share a little bit of our family with you today. And it is, uh, it is overwhelming to see the great things that God is doing. And yet one of the things I never told you is why I left Old North. I don't think I ever very clearly communicated to you why I left being your pastor. And so this morning, I want to make it real clear to you that Lori and I left Canfield. We moved from Boardman. We went to Connecticut. We took a new job. We stopped being your pastor because, because we died we died. And that shouldn't surprise you if you know scripture, because what the Bible tells us is that in Christ, all of us have died to ourselves, and we need to be willing to do what God calls us to do and go where God leads us. And the opportunity to understand that is a very familiar passage of scripture to many of us. It's in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20, and I invite you to turn there with me on page 1152 of your pew Bibles, if you want to follow along. 
We're going to put the verse on the screen. We're going to look at that this morning. And I do want you to know that as Lori and I love living in Connecticut, we love doing what we're doing, leaving family and friends and, and some of the stuff that are part of that was a challenge for us. It's still a challenge for us. But we do what we do because at one point in our life, we decided that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And as we trusted him as the one who forgives our sins, the one who leads our lives, we realized that our lives were not our own anymore. And so the process of doing all the things that we've done are really because we died. And that's what this verse says. Now, the Apostle Paul is the one who wrote these words. In Galatians 2.20, let's read it together. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Read it with me, please. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Come on, you can do better than that. Let's read it one more time. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's my desire that every one of us will understand what that verse means to us personally today. And we'll be able to leave this room realizing that God has a plan for us. And even if he calls us to do something that might be uncomfortable for us or hard for us or is simply an act of obedience for us, God gives us the opportunity today to decide that we are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we can trust him, therefore, to lead us and guide us each step of our lives. Now, if you've read that verse and you've been thinking about it, you probably realize that there seems like there's some contradictions there, doesn't it? Let's put some of those contradictions up in the next slide. Because as that verse says, I've been crucified, I mean, crucifixion is death, right? But, but, but this verse says we've been crucified and yet we're alive. And yet it says it's not us who's alive, it's Christ who's alive within us. And then it also says that we live these lives in the flesh, that we all have to make choices, that we all are human, that we're all people that have, have temptations and trials and difficulties in life, but, but yet we're to live that life by faith, either by flesh or by faith, trusting in who Jesus is and how he continues to guide us in our life. And therefore, each of those contradictions are answered as we understand the reality of the good news of Jesus, that he died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again, he's alive, he offers eternal life as a free gift. And it's also answered by understanding what he really accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary. Because as Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins and as he offers eternal life, he doesn't just say, hey, here's your free ticket to heaven and you just trust me and you just believe and you just pray the prayer, you just walk the aisle, you just do some casual thing. No, he wants us to understand that we have to turn from our sin. We have to realize what that penalty for sin cost him on the cross of Calvary. And then we have to understand that it's not just an intellectual understanding of that, but, but it's a commitment. It, it's a life choice, and, and it affects so much more of our lives than, than many times we realize. So, so let's look at that. See, the idea of this contradiction is answered in the gospel. It's answered in, in understanding the cross. And so I want you to realize that when Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins, and when the apostle Paul says that he's been crucified with Christ, and yet he is alive in him, what he's saying, let's put it the next slide, is that he is talking about the eternal reality of the gospel. That, that the good news of Jesus is not just something that affects us only now or only in the future, but it's an and thing in our lives. 
that, that Jesus has given his life for us, we might have life that is everlasting, that will go on forever, that has a place for us in heaven, that, that it makes a difference in how we live now. And yet at the same time, friends, it also gives us a perspective that, that our lives were planned from the very beginning of time and that our choice of Jesus was because of his choice of us. And as he paid the penalty on the cross for our sins, he did that with a plan that, that, that he said is, is something that is a gift for us and something that is magnificent for us and something that, that, that he began in us that will carry it on to completion until the day that we either die or meet him in heaven someday. Now, now all of this said, when he says, I've been crucified with Christ, is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the original language, he is saying that this is something that we don't do for ourselves, but it's something that Jesus has done for us. It's in the passive voice, and it's also in what's called the perfect tense, meaning that, that it's taken care of, that we don't have to do it over and over again. We don't have to re-crucify ourselves or retrust Christ as our Savior or, or come to a place where over and over again as we gain this gift of salvation, we have to gain it again because we lose it. No, eternal lasts forever, but eternal means now, and eternal means that God has done something greater in our lives and sometimes we realize. Now, there's a passage of Scripture in the book of Romans, chapter 6. I invite you to turn there. It's on page 1116 of your pew Bibles if you want to go there. And you might want to keep your finger in Galatians 2 verse 20 because in this passage it's going to tell us that when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives that we are brought into this eternal relationship with God. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just an understanding. It's not just a series of do's and don'ts. We realize that, that, that something transforms us and something changes us. And in Romans 6 verse 1 and following it says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And the Apostle Paul again says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, there's some people that kind of argue about whether this passage is talking about the Holy Spirit placing us into Christ or whether he's talking about whenever we are baptized by water that we come to a place of repentance and believe. And, and you know what? I see both of those things in here. I just realized that, that this passage is talking about the fact that when we repent and believe by the Spirit of God, whenever that is, whenever we make that choice, whenever we show that and demonstrate that, we are placed into the body of Christ. And it's not just we become part of a club or part of an organization or, or a part of something outside of us. No, we are brought into him, the eternal creator, the eternal God, the one who has always existed, and yet the one who decided to show himself by putting on human flesh and coming into this world. And so therefore, whenever we come to Christ, it says, by him we have died to sin, that the nature of sin within us is something that doesn't have to control us anymore. And therefore, as a Christian, I just don't believe in an ideology or practice principles of, of being a good person. No, you see, I am a Christian because... I've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, but because God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God himself, therefore lives within me. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mind-blowing concept when you think about it. And in our finite minds, it's difficult to grasp. But I just want to clarify, we're not talking about deifying ourselves and, and saying we become little gods. We're not insinuating that, that that ever happens in life. But when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to realize that God all of a sudden becomes part of your life in an intimate, personal way. 
And we're talking about radical transformation that should take place in each of our lives. Now, obviously, there's, there's personality differences among us. Um, there are things that distinguish us as believers in Jesus Christ, that, that we have different perspectives and different opinions about things. But, but that shows the beauty of God's creation, doesn't it? It shows the diversity of, of how he enabled us to live out our lives in Christ. And, and, and I just want us to realize that as we talk about being crucified with Christ and, and being placed into that eternal relationship with him, there, there's, there's a couple big thoughts that I've kind of been thinking these days. One is that, that, you know, I don't believe God saves us just so we can get to heaven or, or just so we can have eternal life. I mean, I realize that that's why a lot of us trusted Christ. That's why a lot of us accept him and believe him. We're going to heaven someday. We have that free gift of eternal life. But, but I also believe that God saved us to make us like Christ. Otherwise, why would he want the spirit of Christ to live within us? And, and as his spirit lives within us, we need to realize that we represent him every day of our lives, every hour of our lives, every moment of our lives. And we are to carry out his work as the church of Jesus Christ, not just one group or one denomination. No matter what adjective hangs over our church door, we need to make sure that we understand that we are the ones that Christ has called out of this world. We're a spiritual community, a spiritual family led by his spirit to follow him and to show him to this world. And sometimes we forget that. I mean, sometimes we quench his spirit within us. And Sometimes we even forget that his Holy Spirit is there because we still operate in our flesh. And the Apostle Paul says we don't have to do that because we've been brought into this eternal relationship with Christ. And, and the second kind of weird thought I've been thinking is that, that most Christians, most of us, my experience has been at least, are, are much more interested in reformation than we are transformation. I mean, think about that. We want to kind of tweak little things in our lives once in a while. We want to say, hey, you know, I have a little anger problem. I need to work on that. Or, you know, oh, I still kind of think bad thoughts once in a while. Or, oh, I shouldn't do that. And so, God, help me to be a better person. Help me to do better things. And, and really, if the Spirit of Christ has transformed us, then, then something's wrong with the nature that we still fight with and perhaps we haven't really gotten to the place of truly repenting from our sinfulness and coming to a place where we're trusting only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all of us want to tweak things that would be helpful for us, and most of us want to be successful in life, right? But, but, but the power of Jesus living within us is that he wants to indwell us to a place where we're really not our own anymore because we have, we have died with him, our sin nature is put to death, and no matter what takes place around us or even in us, the power of his Holy Spirit should be greater than the power that we still try to conjure up within our own obedience. Now, I want to tell you, ministry can be a tough place. I mean, Lori and I have been doing it for over 30 years. And I could give you a list of lots of bad things that have happened to us in ministry. Some of them happened here, as a matter of fact. But I want you to realize that with all the challenges of ministry and all the challenges of life, there are incredible opportunities that God gives any of us with any challenges that come our way. Whether that's an illness, whether that's a job loss, whether that's a difficulty with somebody else. And I sometimes look back at the difficult times of life that we've had and I wonder how much of those difficult times were caused by us frankly trying to do things in our own power instead of living in the power of God's Holy Spirit. 
I also wonder sometimes how many of those bad things happened because somebody else was not living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And both things are true. I just want us to say this morning that in the process of us realizing who we are in Jesus, we need to realize that if we've trusted him as our savior, that we have been crucified with him and is no longer us who live, but as Christ who lives within us. And that's why the second part of this verse tells us not just about the eternal reality of the gospel, but, but the internal reality of the gospel. You see, we're not just talking about something that's lasted forever and we get to be part of that will continue on into eternity, but we're talking about the reality, again, of Christ living within us and us being able to be alive with him and knowing that every time we have choices of obedience, that we don't have to listen to our old nature, but we can listen to him. This is a good time to tell you how much we love your pastors here at this church. I mean, my job is basically to care for pastors. At Converge, we start churches, we strengthen churches, we send missionaries. We've got about 92 congregations that, that we regularly stay in touch with and visit and pray for, and we pray for your pastors too. I mean, again, I'm so thankful God brought Nick here. We love the other guys that are on staff. I'm glad you traded in an old Kyle for a new Kyle and a better model with that. And I'm so glad that as God continues to bless this church that that, that my, my admonition for you is to love your pastors and learn from your pastors and let them lead you because God has brought each one of them here to a place in their lives where that's what they know that God has called them to do. And as they do that, you need to trust the Holy Spirit in their lives. And when we truly trust him, then that nature of sinfulness within us to be critical or judgmental or, or to gossip or, or to do something that we know is sinful is, is put aside from us. That's why in Romans 8 verse 9 it says this, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So if we have not understood that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and guides us, then we really haven't understood all that Jesus has for us by him dwelling within us through his Holy Spirit. You're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 20. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I mean, that's a whole sermon itself, isn't it? But if you've kept your finger in the book of Romans chapter 6, it says in verses 3 and 4, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, that's, that's eternal and that's internal. And we realize that as we have come to a place where before the cross of Christ, I mean, we're, we're controlled by laws and works and flesh and self, and we enter into this new relationship with Jesus. All of a sudden, we get new guidance from grace and faith and Christ and his spirit. And, and again, one of the, the new different thoughts I've been thinking is, is I remember at different times looking at a verse of scripture in, in John chapter 10, verse 10. And it, it says this, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So many people that I talk to think about fullness of life, thinking of success and health and prosperity. So many people that I talk to all over the place think that whenever our lives are full, man, God's going to bless us and we're going to have great activities and great things. And, 
And the more I meditate on that verse, the more I realize that Jesus was talking about his fullness, that no matter what takes place outside of us internally, if his spirit lives within us, that, 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 that we are filled with him. And so I should be looking for abundance of Jesus, not an abundance of things. I should be looking for an abundance of his Holy Spirit guiding me, not abundance of, of possessions or success stories or, or those kind of things. And you get that idea, don't you? Because somewhere in the process where the Apostle Paul talks about this eternal reality of the gospel and internal reality of the gospel, it's got to show itself in our lives. That if Jesus really is who we claim that he is, if we really trusted him as the one who gives us eternal life, then we have to get to a point of understanding that, that, that we're going to show that to people. We're going to communicate that to people. We're going to live out this life of Christ. And so we're going to live not just in the flesh, but we're going to live by faith because that is the external reality of the gospel, that third thing we want to see. Now, there's a church in our district has gone through some conflict, some interesting things where the elders and pastors have had some difficulties with some folks in the church, and we've been working with them through that and praying through some issues with that, and I, I met with a pastor just this past week, and he said, Brent, he said, you know what, he said, it's amazing what God has done here. He said, it's amazing what God did through one of our elders' families, because all of a sudden, our church is a different church. He said, our elders are a different team of elders. Our staff is a different staff. I said, why? Why is that? Peter, and he said, because one of our elders' wives got cancer, and I wanted him to explain what that meant. He says, seriously, he said, we have an elder who, who is a very successful businessman. He's made a difference in, in success throughout the Albany, New York area. He said he's very wealthy, he's very well-to-do, and he said his wife was diagnosed with cancer, and as they grieved over that, and as they prayed over that, all of a sudden, he said, he told us that God's Spirit said to him, think of all the people whose lives you've been involved in who don't know for sure they're going to heaven when they die. And he said it just hit him because the Spirit of God spoke to him. And he said that even in losing his wife potentially and the cancer that was in her body, that he realized that there were hundreds, if not thousands of people that he had had contact with that he didn't know whether they had an eternal relationship with God. And so... He believed the Spirit of God was prompting him to talk about that. And so as people asked him how he was, he said, we're going through a really difficult time. He didn't sugarcoat it, didn't say, hey, you know, everything's great, everything's rosy, I'm a Christian, yay, yay, yay. He says, we're going through a very difficult time. He says, my wife has cancer, we're not sure what that means. And as they sympathize with that, he's been communicating over and over again to hundreds of people, hundreds of successful people in the capital of New York State that he believes that Jesus is the only hope of salvation. And he's asking them whether they've ever considered trusting him. And they're asking whether they have a plan for what happens. Just like he's planned people's financial businesses and financial entities of what their plan is for eternal life. He said it's amazing how few people have thought about that and how few people have understood that. But God is opening this door, and now he and the elders of that church are unified around the gospel because what they're doing is they've realized that, that their lives are abundant lives in Christ. And even though there are difficulties and even though there are horrible things that happen in life, 
It's that fullness of Jesus living in them. John Ortberg, a Christian author, says it this way in, in the book Soul Keepers. He says, the world says if you're empty, you need to fulfill yourself. If you're stressed, you need to learn how to care for yourself. If you're in a job interview, you have to believe in yourself. If you're in a tattoo parlor, you need to learn to express yourself. If someone dares to criticize you, you have to love yourself. If you're not getting your way, you have to stand up for yourself. And, and I realize that there's, there's some good in some of that advice, but... But bottom line is, since, since Jesus loves us, isn't it more important for us to stand up for him and to show him to the world who truly needs it? Because whether or not we realize it, friends, every one of us, every day, every moment, are living lives of faith, even though we still live in the flesh. Now again, Lori and I have been blessed to be with you for 25 years. And again, we still look back at some of the incredible things back here. We just, we love living in New England, though. We've got to tell you that because we've, we've always loved New England. I mean, there's something about that, that even when we were, were dating and we were talking about getting married, we loved New England. We went to New England on our honeymoon. Stupid way to spend the honeymoon, but we traveled 1,600 miles in every state because we wanted to see things and, you know, Brett and Lori are goal-oriented and... We traveled all over New England, and then we went to Dallas, Texas, to seminary, and you know where we ended up after Dallas, Texas? New England, right? We moved to Connecticut for four years up there, and in 1988, um, when I was asked to be your pastor here at Old North, I was also asked to be the pastor of a church in New England. Now, I don't know whether I've ever told this story or not. I've told it to some of you individually, but... But bottom line, we loved New England, we loved Massachusetts, we loved Cape Cod, and there was a church out in Osterville, Massachusetts called Osterville Baptist Church that we candidated at, and they called us, and we said no to because we felt so strongly God was leading us to Ohio. I mean, literally, in 1988, we got in a plane in White Plains, New York, after this church, Osterville Baptist Church, had called us to be their pastor, and we looked at each other on our way out here to meet with your search committee, and we said, God's going to lead us to Ohio. We just know God is going to lead us here. We felt so certain about that. And so we said no to that church on Cape Cod. And so they called a guy named Mike Rowe, and then they called another guy named Larry Renault, and then in 2009, they called a guy named Nick Gatsky to be their pastor, who was there until now. And in God's sovereignty, as Nick talks about the sovereignty of relationships and the way that we're all interconnected. I mean, now we not only get to be friends with Nick and Amy, we get to be friends and, and share with the new pastor at that church in Osterville, and we get to see how God works, and we get to see how even in the details of the yeses and nos of life, God's Spirit guides and God's Spirit leads when we really decide that our lives are more submitted to Him than they are to ourselves. I'd love to introduce you to some of the people in New England right now that are ministering the gospel. I mean, there's just some incredible people up there. I'd love for you to go to a Haitian prayer meeting in Brooklyn on Friday night where about 700 Haitian people gather together and they can really pray. I mean, let me tell you, on a Friday night, they can bring down the house and in their prayer and their worship. I'd, I'd love to take you to Burlington, Vermont, where there is a group of pastors that are training resident church planters because they want to make an impact in New England. I'd love to take you to Boston and meet a guy named Marconi Correa, who is a Brazilian guy who was on his way to Texas and God stopped him in Boston. And what do you do when you stop in Boston? You start a seminary. Because you know the number one size ethnic group outside of the Anglo community in Massachusetts right now 
is Portuguese-speaking speak, people. And Marconi Correia is training about 30 young pastors a year to plant little churches, little storefront churches, all through New England, all through Boston. There's all kinds of fun things that are taking place like that. One of my youngest board members is, is a guy that had a band in Nashville, and he felt so strongly God was leading him back to, to Massachusetts, actually, um, that he moved back without a job, and he's been doing worship seminars and youth seminars and children's ministry seminars, and this guy is touching thousands of lives because of his obedience to Christ. I mean, in the process of that, I mean, I just want you to know that we are very grateful for the opportunity to, to work with denominational leaders and befriend people and see the great diversity that, that's in the Northeast. Um, it's amazing when you're in an all-black congregation and they start to sing, my chains are gone, I've been set free. My Lord, my Savior has ransomed me. And sometimes we forget the depth of what that means in our own spiritual lives, friends, because we've got so caught up in, in, our, in our own stuff and in our own needs that we forget that we are here to continue to introduce Jesus Christ to all the people God calls us to serve. Let me just show you some, some stuff up here and how important this is. I mean, th this is from the Barna Institute that, that says the most church places in the United States are the dark green ones. I mean, you can see the Bible Belt in the south and you can see the Midwest, but the, the two top parts of our country, the Northwest and the Northeast, are the places that have the fewest churches. Um, next slide. As a matter of fact, it's interesting because even generationally, my generation has about 35% of people who still believe the Bible is God's word and Jesus is God's son and salvation is by God's grace. You can see many of your generation who are still here that that, that has been a higher stat now in the millennials, we realize that, that that message is getting lost in the process because the millennials are bad people, because they are caught up in all kinds of things, or, or because our generations haven't been able to share that and communicate that in a way that shows the truth of Jesus. I uh, just want you to see this also, the third slide, is that these are the top 10 religious states in the country right now. Um, you can see most of them are in the Northwest and Northeast. And I think Connecticut might have fallen to number 12, not because we've gained that much territory, but there's been some worse ones come up because of the difficulties in the United States. I, I want you to see one more slide though, because in all of these stats, what the gospel message of transformation comes down to is, is just people. The, the next generation of people that need to see Jesus. This is a little guy named Jack. He's in a tiny little church in Seymour, Connecticut, which was a funny name place. And he was sitting there, and we were singing the song that Lori played today on the piano, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, Oh, What a Foretaste of Glory Divine, written by a blind gal from New York who lived in Connecticut named Fanny Crosby. Um, Fanny Crosby, by the way, believed that her illness, her, her blindness, was something that was a blessing to her because she said, the first face I'll ever see is Jesus. And yet we're singing this little song, and the person sitting on the other side of Jack is not his mother. It's not his grandmother. It's his great-grandmother. And Jack just touched my heart when I was sitting on this side of the pew of him because he said, this is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And I said to his grandmother after the service, I said, it was such a blessing to see this guy singing those words. She says, well, it was a blessing to me, too, because he's a real stinker. And you know what? There's a lot of stinkers out there. There's, there's a lot of jacks. There's a lot of people who, who need to know Jesus. 
And we need to understand over and over again that, that we have the opportunity to be able to tell them if we decide that in all of our lives, whatever our circumstances, God has us where he has us and he's allowing us to go through whatever we're going through so we can be people that truly represent the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, some amazing people, you can take the slide down, has, have written extensively about this passage of scripture. People like Hudson Taylor and A.B. Simpson and A.W. Tozier and Colonel Ian Thomas, they wrote uh, chapters and books about the exchanged life, the deeper life, the crucified life, the spirit-filled life, and yet, that you know what, friends? Our, our job is not to just read those things. Our, our job is to live out that truth. And as we do, we can trust that God will do what he has planned to do and he will change not only other people's lives, but ours. We might not even recognize ourselves. <laughs> a while ago, Lori found this article, true article, and it makes me laugh every time. It says, missing woman unwittingly joined search party looking for herself. <laughs> Did you catch that? Missing woman unwittingly joined search party looking for herself. This is a true story, true story. It's from Iceland, so it's a little far away, but it's absolutely true. It says, a group of tourists spent hours Saturday night looking for a missing woman near Iceland's Ildadja Canyon only to find her among the search party. It says, the group was traveling through Iceland on a tour bus and stopped near the volcanic canyon in the southern highlands Saturday afternoon, reports the Icelandic news organization, whatever it's called. One of the women on the bus left to change her clothes, Carol DeCamp, this could happen on an Anderson tour. It says when she came back, her busmates didn't recognize her, and soon there was word of a missing passenger. The woman didn't recognize the description of herself, and she joined in the search. And about 50 people searched the terrain by vehicles and on foot. The Coast Guard was even readying a helicopter to help. <laughs> but the search was called off at 3 a.m. when it became clear the missing woman was, in fact, accounted for and searching for herself. Isn't that great? You know what? There's a lot of us that are in search of a lot of things. And we might be looking for ourselves and finding some good within us. But my word from the Lord for you today is that you've been crucified with Christ, yet you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. In the life that you live in this flesh, I pray that you will live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Let's bow our heads and pray that that is true today. Father, for those that may be wondering whether or not you are true, I pray your spirit would speak to them. I pray that you would give them a perspective of reality, that you are real, that you love them, that you came from heaven in the form of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ and you offer the free gift of eternal life through trust, through faith, through belief. I pray, Father, that as we sing and as we prepare to leave this place, that those who have questions might come and talk to people that would pray for them down front, people that love them, people that are concerned about them. And yet, Father, I pray that as, as that message would come through more clearly than anything else, I would ask that, that, that the power of your Holy Spirit would touch our lives today where those of us that have claimed the cause of Christ would realize that our lives are not our own, but we have been bought with the price of his precious blood. I pray that we'd realize that we've been crucified with him. Our, our nature has been put to death, and therefore, we no longer are controlled by ourselves, but we are controlled by your spirit. And so, Father, may your spirit work in incredible ways to let the fullness of Jesus be shown to the people around us. May, may people understand the truth of who he is as they see our lives, as they hear our words. May, may your spirit do incredible things in this church and in this community so, 
So thousands of people will come in these days and these years ahead to know who Jesus is and to follow him. And Father, I pray that for those in this room that may be facing some difficult choices or for those that may be sensing a prompting that they know is difficult or hard or, or, or uncertain, that today through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would enable them to say yes to your spirit and yes to your will. I pray, Father, that all of us would be willing to do whatever you call us to do because we've died to ourselves and Christ lives in us. It's my prayer for these good people in this good place, and we trust you for that. In the good name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody in agreement says, amen.